Hi there. And that was the sounds of the Science and Eternity team. And this is the Science and Eternity podcast. We explore the relationship between groundbreaking science and the human experience. And this is the second of our three-part series um, looking at AI. This episode, we're looking at whether humans and machines are distinct, which is kind of a pretty big question. My name is Tom Cousins, your presenter, and with me today is Peter Robinson, Professor of Computer Technology at Cambridge University. Peter has recently been in the media a lot for his robotic head. Uh, I was actually really excited to meet you, Peter, because I heard you had a robotic head, but it turns out that you've actually just made a robotic head as opposed to having one yourself. Mm, don't um, wear one for normal occasions, no. <laughs> I am slightly disappointed, um, but what's the real robot head like? Uh, the real robot head is something that we put together because we were interested in a long program of research about trying to improve the way that people interact with machines. So we've been looking to see if we could do anything about it. We're interested in seeing if we can make machines that can watch your face, watch the expressions in your face and make inferences about what you're thinking. Uh, I suppose one of the examples we use for this is when you're driving your car. And if you're a lost in a busy city centre, unfamiliar, the last thing you want as you approach a complicated junction is for the car to say, change the oil in 1,000 miles. There are other more useful things it could be doing. It could be stopping your mobile phone from ringing. It could be turning off the radio so that you can concentrate on the driving. It could even let you drive in the wrong direction for a bit until you recover your composure and then bring you back in for another attempt. Well, that's a computer understanding somebody's mental state. Then it seemed interesting to see if we could make the computer express mental states, express these same facial expressions that people understand. So we had this robot head commissioned. It's um, got two dozen motors inside a very realistic prosthetic head that uh, replicate the, the muscles in the human face. And it can exhibit lots of... Um, uh, expressions and to be honest people find it creepy mm -hmm. so you've probably only seen still pictures if you have a conversation with it uh, it's creepy so it turns out not terribly useful scientifically but great for publicity uh, people do like robots I think one thing that I picked up um, from your robot head is that it, it mimics human emotion yeah. albeit not to a completely accurate degree um, the thing that we saw whilst we were in Japan, our team went to Japan, is that some of these intelligent machines um, were able not only to mimic human emotion, but to read it. And that was something you were suggesting earlier. The example is one of the labs we went to, there's a machine that has preset responses, but she's, Erica, is designed to look almost human. But I totally agree, even with her skin that they've spent, they told me they spent hundreds of man-hours designing this skin to look almost perfect, um, you could still identify immediately that she was machine-like. What interests me is that more and more we're seeing machines taking up uh, positions, not simply in aiding us in practical ways, lifting heavy things for us, um, but we're actually seeing machines as tourist attractions. We're seeing machines that occupy service roles. Um, and this, as a team, has made us ask a, a question about whether the future of machines could look indistinguishable and act in an indistinguishable way from humans. For some reason, the Japanese do seem particularly enthusiastic about these, but we have similar mechanical animals that are 
have some, some value. People look at them, but they know that it's not a real animal. And people care for animals, they, um, but they don't care for their mechanical toys the same way. So I think there's, there are still clear distinctions. Now, that having been said, there are machines out there that we do confuse with people. And on social media, some frighteningly high percentage of the comments that you're seeing injected in are actually coming from machines. And perhaps those are slightly harder to distinguish from real people. Wow. Uh, so perhaps that's the more important area that we should be teaching how to distinguish a real person from a machine when it's hidden behind a 142-character message. I think the question of distinction is incredibly important. The way in which I think we've traditionally defined ourselves as humans uh, is even in our name, Homo sapiens, is, is by our intelligence. Homo sapien means intelligent or wise man. And it seems to me that in this regard, we've already been beaten in many ways. If you look back to 1997 when the world, the reigning world champion at chess was beaten by a machine, it becomes clear that Machines are able to do tasks humans have traditionally done better and sometimes a lot faster. One thing I really found interesting was that even in the legal arena, um, a machine had higher accuracy identifying legal issues in a document than experienced lawyers and was able to do it in a fraction of the time. Yes, I suppose that's been a worry over the years. We worry that um, our reliance on our uh, phones for our diaries and notes about what we're going to think are destroying human memory. We don't remember things now, we look it up on Wikipedia. Well, it's not a new concern. Plato wrote about the concerns he had when writing was invented, that the oral tradition would be lost and we would lose all of this history. Well, it didn't quite turn out that way. So I just wonder if it's another stage in the same process. Now, obviously, the advent of machines and their computation is uh, significantly different. What we're finding is that we can tackle more and more traditionally difficult problems, starting with arithmetic, but going on to things like chess and language and vision and actually uh, deeply troubling, uh, deeply difficult intellectual problems like protein folding, which we're now discovering computers can work out the way that proteins fold better than people can, monumentally better than people can, which incidentally, I think will mean a Nobel Prize for Demis Hassabis, which will be, you heard it here first. Um, but uh, what's led to this? Well, it's the increases in the processing power of the machines on the one hand, that's essentially what solved the chess problem, and increases in the amount of memory available. And that's what's made a lot of the recent advances possible. And these will continue, but they, are just making faster and better machines. It's a signal coming in and uh, some sort of symbolic representation being inferred from it. Well, I, I just want to go back to your argument about uh, machines increasing in capacity. Uh, not only are they able to complete uh, numerical tasks, they're able to read emotions, what we might call empathy, there are machines that have registered in the top 6% of human beings at being able to register human emotions, which says to me that they're far more intelligent than simply computing mathematical problems. 
This that's is actually uh, that is computation, though. I mean, what they're doing is a model, but just a model of what we think people do. Of course, we don't actually know what people do, but we can understand that different facial expressions indicate different mental states within the person. And thanks to increasing computing power and increasing memory availability and increasing data for training machine learning systems, we can now analyze people's facial expressions, track the movements, and from the training data that we've got, we can then correlate that with mental states and the machine makes an inference. And yes, it can be quite an accurate inference in most of the cases, and it's probably better than most people at it. But that's a very narrow view of humanity. There's a difference between a mechanical process that we just complete quickly and the uh, other ways in which humans are different from machines that we can see. If we, if we perceive a machine to be in the top 6% of, uh, of human beings reading emotions, uh, that means that in, in that regard there is very little distinction. In fact, we might consider that machine to be, perhaps uh, the everyday observer might consider that machine in that regard to be more human than a lot of the other humans <laughs> out there. Ah, you've met, you've met computer scientists, yes. <laughs> is, it, is it not possible though, if machines are able to do this task well, that they may be able to do the other tasks that we're saying are missing currently? I mean, uh, if I were to, I think this is one of the very interesting aspects of the conversation that we might describe humans in mechanistic terms. You might consider that a machine has a, a load of transistors with ones and zeros. A uh, human mind has synapses with pulses traveling through them. Is that those sounds and, like and similar system components? And to try and understand the way that a body works and that mechanistic model has helped us to do a lot of work in repairing bits of bodies that are broken, understanding diseases, and that's terrific. But that's not to say that that model is the full explanation. We have to distinguish the model from the, the real thing. It, it's quite interesting though that many academics, one notably uh, Max Tedmark, who we've been reading a lot of uh, in the team, um, describes human beings as systems that remember, compute and learn. But in everyday conversation, we use the term hardwired to describe the way our mind works. It feels like uh, this uh, mechanical language, uh, this way of describing humanity is, has become commonplace. It's part of our culture. Um, it's become more than simply a model. Um, and it raises, to me, it raises the question of whether we can capture the best of humanity in mechanical terms. Yeah, so I, I think phrasing it as remember, compute and learn is really interesting because those are the three components of modern computing. Uh, uh, remember, memory is now cheap and we can store vast amounts of data. Compute is a thing that computers have been doing since the 1940s and getting faster and faster every couple of years or so. And learn, well, that's what we do when we use that computing power to analyze the very large amounts of data that we've now collected and can make inferences and discern patterns. And that is what's making computers appear intelligent when they make medical diagnoses that are uh, really accurate. I guess it stems back to the 18th century Enlightenment thinking, isn't it? Where as machines became cleverer, 
and more sophisticated, people thought that they could understand how humans worked by describing them as machines. Mm -hmm. That's a description, it's just a model. And if we treat people as machines, we're then running a terrible risk that we will begin to value them less because they're not working perfectly. So uh, my hearing's not very good, does that mean I should be put down? Well, no, we can fix that with the hearing aid for a bit. Mm, then my mobility goes and I'm bedbound. Now, does that mean that I've ceased to be useful? I'm definitely a burden on those around you. Does that mean I should be put down? Does my mind begin to fail for whatever reason that minds do when you get old? Does that mean I should be put down? Well, no, and actually, this is exactly what happened to my father in his later years. He was bedbound. He was wandering in and out of coherence in conversation. But he was my father and I loved him and nothing would have uh, persuaded me to have him put down. We cared for him for years like that. And that's because he was human. He wasn't a machine. And that, that if you like, was an easy decision. But as soon as we start treating people as nothing more than machines, we will get a very cavalier view of people who are less than perfect. I think your example is incredibly powerful. And what I take away from today is not whether machines will one day be as intelligent as humans. I think uh, the question behind the question for me is whether we can actually define humans in purely mechanistic terms. Um, So thank you, Peter, for coming in. It's been a real pleasure. Um, Next time we'll be with Noreen Hersfeld, Mm -hmm. who I'm promised does not have uh, robotic head, uh, but has a couple of things to say about whether humans can be fulfilled through AI.